Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. Hi, everybody. Teresa and America back on In the Open. Hi, Teresa. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about radical acceptance. What is it? Yeah, you should see my face because it's like, what? I know. So both of us have this thing as people who live with mental health issues, like I feel like what happens with a term like radical acceptance or other weird therapy terms that come up is that I don't know if you feel this way, but like it's very interesting to me that you and I both have this face. (laughs) Yeah. What is this thing? (laughs) What is this? When I first heard this term radical acceptance, I was like, what nonsense is this? (laughs) when I (laughs) and then when I actually started reading about it I was like oh I've been doing that um I didn't really know that that's what it was called but I guess I have been uh using radical acceptance basically like for the last year daily (laughs) so it's a it was a very good concept that I learned about but I think it's something very new it's like this new term And that is what happens in mental health, right? Like, I feel like a lot of the coping skills we set up, they become like researchers need to put names on them so they can research them and like put them in books for us to use or whatever. But that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. And I think the whole spectrum. So just like, should we start by just clarifying this specific term? Because it does come from a certain theory. Like it starts with Marsha Linehan's Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. This is the first time it's been used in a more flushed out way. If you go to the worksheet that we created in our 2021 Mental Health Month Toolkit, there is a worksheet on radical acceptance. Yeah. So you can also look it up on the internet to learn more. But so in terms of the definition, the reason why ra- they say radical acceptance is radical because it's more than just saying to yourself, I understand that this is reality. Like for dialectical behavioral therapy, radical acceptance means taking the time that you need to really absorb this reality that your brain wants to push away and not believe is true, right? To truly accept it in your mind and in your body. And so I There are elements that I think from this practice that are really important that relate to other trauma-related practices or mental health-related practices where you like pay attention to your body. You pay attention to the way your thoughts make you feel tight and stressed out. So radical acceptance is just a framework for all of that in one worksheet. The word that I was thinking about is how to integrate it. Like you're integrating all of these pieces of how you're coming to terms. And I'm going to say that with terms, like it doesn't mean that you agree with whatever situation is coming. You're just understanding this is the reality of what it is. Mm -hmm. This is me as a person and what my situation is. And I have no control over X things. Yeah. And so you integrate these other practices of, you know, thinking about your body, thinking about how you react to these things so that it is less distressing for you as a whole. And then if you practice it more and more, 
it becomes an unconscious kind of thing that all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I've actually been doing this thing. But what's I think most off-putting about this when I hear it, it's like, really, what I said earlier is like, what nonsense has been created that has to be framed in this way? But then I'm like, oh, it really is something that can be used. And we do it all the time without knowing that we've done it. When you say what so it's nonsense, not nonsense. So what like to clarify, when you say what nonsense has been created, are you saying like, are you saying that you struggled with what you should be accepting or not? Because I feel I feel that in some part you're a fighter in that you advocate, you see injustice, you see something wrong, and you're like, I'm never gonna accept that. So that's secondarily to my my process. My my thought process was more along the lines like like some woo-woo thing that's been created mm. by people that are like, oh, well, we're now going to go sit and meditate around everything oh. that's going to happen on earth <laughs> like that. No. And I was like, America, do not go into this thinking about it that way. Yeah, that's that's where I was talking about, like some woo-woo. <laughs> uh-huh. It is hard to think about acceptance when you see things that you feel like should not be acceptable. And that I think is the root of why practicing radical acceptance is so hard because at the center of it, you have a decision about how to grieve things that shouldn't happen and accept them. Yeah. And, and then in our brains, I don't know if you feel like this is like, cause I understand what you're saying. Like, Oh, I want to, I wonder to what extent, like, even having that reaction to radical acceptance is in many ways our own process for the struggle we have with not accepting certain things about reality. This is what it's like in our brains, though. When therapists bring up these practices right. in therapy, this is what it sounds like in our head where we're like, oh, what are you going to give me now? This boo-boo practice. <laughs> you know, I feel this <laughs> yes. way about a lot of therapy things. Yes. Because when I broach these topics, like with folks in, in my in my world, I'm like, you know, I've ever heard of radical acceptance. They're like, what? And they look at me like, what are you reading now, man? Like, I know what are you dropping in front of us that we're supposed to take in. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, think about it like this. And then when you break it down to the actions of it, you're like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah, man, I've been doing that. That's the thing. Have so you been that's doing what I it? want people to get away from this. Uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me what that's like. Um, it's very hard because what you said hits me real like in the gut where you're like, I'm a fighter and I totally am mm -hmm. where I believe in stepping up and being like, hey, you can't do that. That shouldn't happen. These are the things that are not right with the world. You have to do things to change it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um in my experience, what has happened oftentimes is even though I may have that energy about me and I want to do something, there's a reality that hits me like a, like a ton of bricks. It's like, yeah, for all your ideas or whatever that you want to change the world and be better and be a good person, the world sucks. <laughs> and it's like, whatever you're trying to do, like, it ain't going to change anything. So... I have to counter that with like, okay, well, where, where do I, where can I manage my expectations? 
Where can I control the way that I respond to these situations and how I respond to these? Yeah. And ultimately get to a place where I am not so emotionally tied to my response. Yeah. Which oftentimes, because I don't accept it, mm-hmm. and even today I, I, I don't accept it, like that whatever f- action, mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. But I have come to terms with that. That's the way that it is. Yeah. I agree with you on all of those things. And I feel like this comes up all the time in my life um, because it that's life, right? And I don't know if you relate to this, but where I feel like I need to practice radical acceptance in my life is where, you know, when somebody comes at you or something happens and you have this the micro thought that's like, here we go again. Oh, oh God. this yeah. stuff is coming up. <laughs> oh, here you come doing the thing you do, or here comes those kinds of situations. You know, here here it goes again. I feel like that especially is like if I have to pay attention to that, I'm like, oh, there's past experiences in my life that have built up these expectations about the way people should behave and how I need to protect myself. <laughs> From oh, being I could hurt. Totally relate. Oh, Teresa, you tapped something right there because the thing that comes to mind is that's a huge space for me where I haven't done well accepting reality because I need to make my presence, my voice heard mm-hmm. enough that the other person is responsive. Yeah. And not just like, Oh, well, it is what it is. Like that just irks me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're not going to change their behavior or, and you are always in a battle where you want them to change the way they behave. And that's why you're like, here we go again. Cause we're going to do this dance over and over and over. And whatever happens here, like we cannot resolve this conflict or this way of being with each other. So I have to accept who you are and what you do or how you do what you do. Or I have to let go of the fact that I want to pick this battle, you know, and make it the one I'm going to die on. Yeah. Like the things that are sticking in my mind, one is like social injustice, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything sucks related to that. Mm -hmm. And I can do, I can do what I can in my, and I'm going to call it my neighborhood, you know, everything that I'm connected to. Yeah. And have conversations and do more and stuff. But there is a reality that I have to accept that there are so many different layers yeah. to systemic injustice, systemic racism, and all these things that I don't have the power to change all of these things, right? I don't have the power to change all of our histories, nothing like that. So that's kind of where one piece, right? That's like a huge kind of thing, right? Then the other side of it is is smaller kind of radical acceptance aspects where I'm like, okay, when I'm going to engage in a conversation with Teresa, mm-hmm. I am not going to react to her inability to actually listen to me. <laughs> I'm just going to accept that that's who she is, right? Yeah. So that's a little easier, I think easier it's different those are two different scales of the things we have to accept 
And I agree, there's a societal element and a personal element. And I also find that there are bits of both that clash together because your your past and your life experience, they compound on each other, right? So I'm like, um, like I, I find, for example, that when I, because I've lived through experiences, because I basically live life, so everybody has this, right? You, you have trauma, because you do, like life is traumatic. And then when you, do you find this when you read news articles? Do you find that the articles trigger those past experiences? And then you're like, here we go again with this kind of abuse happening among large groups of people or among different people or like, and honestly, like a very good example is just like, okay, my childhood abuse gets brought up in my brain a lot. Like if I read an article about abuse, Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me not to bring all of that new stuff into like where my brain goes to start making like very global statements about the world just sucks. Like these things shouldn't happen, but they do. They are all, I think, connected. And what you're speaking about is like the idea of the worldview, right? Like I'm coming to the table with everything that I have experienced and seen. So things get brought up because of other issues that I don't, I may not even understand or underlying issues that I may have or underlying memories that I hold on to. But it's the same kind of aspect when I read about immigration, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an immigrant, dude, like you can't take that identity away from who I am as a person and my history. Mm-hmm. So it's so embedded in like the nuances that you like read about and you're like, you don't even know. I wonder who actually wrote this, you know, because are were they ever immigrant? Did they actually experience these things? Yeah. I would agree that that, that happens a lot. And it's hard because I think a lot of people who might see this too are thinking that by accepting it, you're saying that it's okay. Yeah. And that's not true. Like, I'm not saying that it's okay that anything happened the way it does it's really about i like that you brought up control because that's really embedded in the the process of radical acceptance is really about un- identifying control and saying to ourselves like in those moments you i did not have control i could not change that past i cannot change my situation and and that's where i feel like a lot of the radical acceptance process really taps into guilt we feel the guilt and the pain together is like can drive like a desire to create change. What's happening in your brain is happening in mine because in certain ways, like there is a guilt, um, at least on my part, attached to like, I should have done more, but it's like about any X thing. And it's like, could you have really done more? Mm-hmm. Really, when you think about the scope of whatever X situation is, could you have really done more? Yeah. I'm talking about immigration, right? Like I came to the States when I was six. Yeah. I didn't make that decision. You know, like my parents made that decision. I couldn't have said back then, hey, I don't want to go. I didn't even know we were coming. You know what I mean? I just thought we were going on a trip. (laughs) Yeah. There's a sense of that. But what I was trying to dig a little more on, and I want you to help me think about this, is... um, this idea of originally when I started looking at what um, radical acceptance was, I was like, dude, no way, man. Cause that means that 
I agree with whatever's happening. Mm. And that made me angry. It's like, no way, man. I am in under no circumstance going to agree that this thing is right. Right. And then I was like, oh, it's actually not asking you to do that. Oh, well, I guess I could maybe try it. <laughs> it's it's asking you. It's right. Totally. No. So we, we should make sure people understand that that is not what radical acceptance is asking you to do. But when you hear it from your therapist the first time, that's where your brain is going to go. <laughs> so if it does not accept you to accept that that is okay, then what does it ask you to accept? It asks you to accept one, what the reality is and where your control exists. Yeah. And for, for me, the control is in the response that I may have to it, both physical, emotional, you know, response to it, mm-hmm. to the whatever it is. We can't change the past. That is what, so let's clarify reality. Because you first have to accept reality. That's the first step in radical acceptance. Observe that you are questioning or fighting reality. It's not observe or question your acceptance of reality, just the reality itself. And that's a whole process of grieving, I think, because when something bad happens to you, you don't want to say that it happened. You know, I think your brain is like, no, forget it. Maybe I'll change the whole situation. Maybe I made it up in my mind. And some of that is painful and helpful, like Mm -hmm. hoping, but it's also painful. Do you have a hard time accepting reality? Sometimes. And the why is because I need to know more. Like, why Why is this reality? That's the, that's what gets me. It gets, mm. um, it's like a, a roadblock yeah. that I have to, like, work through. Yeah. To be like, well, why? Who's Who says that this is the reality? Yeah. Who's made that decision? Or why did that happen? Why did they do that? Why is this the way it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a piece of me wants to fight against that, like rebel against this. Like, I'm going to give you an example. And this is like the only thing that pops into my mind. So like if you're looking to live in like a new building or something like that, there's a lot of restrictions, you know, around pets. I don't know if you know that, but there are in many situations. Mm-hmm. And so like, let's say the the rule is like, you're not allowed dogs. And then I have a dog and I'm like, wait, well then I really want to live in that building. But it's like, but you can't there. You, if you want to have a dog, you can't live in that building because they don't accept dogs. So the question is like, well, why? Somebody tell me why, who made that decision? Why, why is that? It's a building, there's doors, there's a place where dogs can exist. So that's something very, I'm, I, that's trivial, right? That I just want people to think about. But the idea is then I have the control to be able to say, okay, fine. I may love that building, but I'm going to make the decision to actually find a building where I can truly be happy because my dog is going to be with me. Mm-hmm. So there's an, there's an option there to decide how I'm going to be able to navigate that space. And I don't, I don't have to agree. I don't have to acquiesce to the fact that that's the building that I have to live in. Yeah. I know that's, uh, that, that may not be the greatest example, but that's what's coming to my head. No, it does. It's a good it's a good example. And it reminds me that at the root of a lot of these practices, they were designed for people like you and me. 
<laughs> because our primary emotion is anger, you know, yeah. like, and I think at the root of a lot of anger is just like a, an inability to accept the situation that we're in. <laughs> That's why DBT was created, you know, it was created for people who just, we, where you get so stuck in your head about the way things should have or would have or could have been that, you, that it makes you so angry all the time with everyone around you that it makes you like intolerable to be with. And I'm like, well, and because I'm because I do, I struggle with this, too. I'm like, well, why should I accept this thing? You know, because a part of us that is a fighter says, well, I, I'm not going to ever accept this. I'm going to go and make change where I can. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm so like, well, so then why did somebody create this therapeutic tool? Like, why is someone trying to basically tell me to calm the frick down? Yeah. You know what that makes me think of, though, man? It's like, you know, I, I don't know if you know this. I have folks in my life that are so laid back just Mm -hmm. chill right like they don't really get upset about stuff and i feel like they are so good at just accepting reality that Mm -hmm. they're just like yeah it is what it is dude like you gotta move past it and you're like no you don't have to that's that's me right no you don't have to you you actually can fight against it and you're like no the systems are there everything's set in place all you gotta do is walk through that door you don't gotta do anything but we're on the other side being like, no. And so, and I think for some people, it's even more difficult than you and I even understand. Like for people who really struggle with being in distress, they, I'm now speaking not in my experience. I'm extending to what I think are other people's experiences based on like who I've worked with or friends that I have or whatever. But, you know, you can experience a trauma that is so long lasting, like people who've experienced long-term trauma, that it puts you on edge like all the time because you don't ever feel safe. And Mm -hmm. that's where DBT was created, was for these individuals who experience so much hurt that you never feel safe in life. And that's hard because we ask you to accept reality, but for many people, that reality that you lived in was was painful and shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And suddenly your therapist comes in and is like, is not asking you to say that that's okay. They're just saying that to do well on this place and to live in life, maybe asking yourself if you can accept that it did just happen and there's nothing you could have done to change that. Yeah. I'm thinking back to um, a session that I heard a while ago around, you know, somebody who had had a traumatic experience and the therapist that they worked with helped them do this work around radical acceptance and really breaking it down. Right. Cause part of the, part of the idea is that you have preconceived notions, right? You have these ideas that, oh, well, it's, um, it shouldn't be this way, right? It shouldn't have happened. Or I could have done this differently and I would have had different outcomes. And then, so you're working through all the different potential outcomes and are really asking yourself, could that really have happened or you have no control over that situation, right? Like, so when you do that, when you break it down and you, and I'm talking about like, you boil this down to like everything, you're like, okay, the fact that you said this one word 
could it have impacted this outcome? The fact that you looked at this person in this weird way based on your you know, concept of it, all of these things are tied to our expectations, how we think people are supposed to react to us, our beliefs around the world itself and, and what our role is, because all of that is mm-hmm. tied into it. Let me ask you a question. In when you think about reality or accepting your reality, some people are able to ex- see what's happening and say that that is what happened. Like you said, your friends who are calm, but other people actively run away from them. <laughs> like I'm a runner. I don't want to feel the way I feel. And so apparently psychology is like when you do that, if you constantly are avoiding this kind of distress, then that's not good either. And then I feel like there are some people who just like don't even question it. They just like live in this world yeah. where they're not like fighting it or accepting it. I don't know, maybe that we don't even have a relationship with reality. Like, I don't know. I think there's that's why it's hard too. It's like, what is my relationship with reality? Do I just accept it? Do I do I run away from it? Or am I somewhere in the middle? I kind of think about it like a house. Like when you're when you're accepting reality, you're like sitting on the couch and just chilling with it. Like you're not questioning what your role is, who you're, you're just there. It's there. But when you're not accepting it, you're like one foot out the door. You're like, eh, not sure about this. I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the person that's sitting on the couch and just chilling, you're like, wait, what are you seeing that I can't? And I think from that aspect, that's where all these tools come into play, right? Like the actual thing. Well, you know, there's only so much I can change here. So I'm going to go with what I can. I'm going to go with the flow and make it okay enough for me to be able to just sit here. So I'm not overwhelmed by all the emotional output that I have to put into it. And being on the verge of always running out of the door. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. that metaphor, you know? Yeah. Because I think when we're like in the most extreme stress, and if you're in that stressful space all the time, then you spend your entire life sitting at that door, wondering if you should run out the door because whatever is happening in the house sucks. Yeah. You know, too, when um, I started really thinking about, because I, I worked on the translation of this uh, worksheet. Mm-hmm. was in many different spaces, we do this work without knowing that we're doing it, right? And that's what I said at the beginning. I've been doing this stuff, but I didn't realize that I was doing it. So part of it is tied to coming to terms with several issues that have come up in the past year where I don't have any control over what happened, especially like with the pandemic, okay? That's like a huge thing. What control do mm-hmm. I have? The only control that I have is what I can do in my house and with my person. Mm-hmm. Some of the feelings that get attached to all of these things, I think, are fear, right? Because fear of the unknown can be very, very overwhelming for people, um, especially a person like myself who really likes to be in control. So that creates mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety brain, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was partly... Um, tying all of this to like real life stuff was thinking about what are the things that you're just dealing with and you've just said it's going to be there regardless Mm -hmm. and what have you done to actually help you accept it and and move on because otherwise you're just stuck this is where reality 
uh, radical acceptance makes the most sense for me is around anxiety and fear. Because I do understand that if I feel fear and anxiety and then I avoid my fear and anxiety, it actually just makes me more anxious. And that's why I have to confront the thing I'm afraid of to actually feel better, which is what the first step of radical acceptance is saying. Like, don't run away. You have to confront the thing and sit with it and learn to sit with the pain and that sit with it so that you can get get better and move on. Yeah. And for people who have to practice radical acceptance, you have a part of your life where if you always voice your anxiety, if you always lash out, this was me, like lashing out or not always, like when I'm in the height of distress at the people who are closest to me, I still do this. So I have to now it happens when I'm in the most distress that I will go back to my old self where I will um, say things I want to say. And it's a skill to learn how to take all the thoughts you have in your head and like keep them inside so that I'm not processing out loud my radical acceptance or like my what ifs abouts or buts. Like I have to practice doing this in my head so I don't say it out loud to other people who yes. are irritated by me or don't want to be my friend anymore. Yes, totally. It doesn't talk about any of that. It talks about just the acceptance first. And I think that other DBT tools do talk about, you know, what you should voice. Right. What you should literally say out loud versus what you need to do inside your head mm-hmm. and process and work out. When you describe it, it sounds so easy. Like this is all happened internally. You just manage, you just keep it all together, you know, and- for us, we spill over where I I can't do this without vocalizing oftentimes. So I either end up vocalizing with myself, mm-hmm. you know, and really like, well, really what's happening here, you know, and I'm talking to myself or I, or I find my people and I'm like, hey, this situation <laughs> came up and mm-hmm. I, I need Again. you to tell me. Yeah. You know, I yeah. need you to tell. Tell me if how I'm seeing this is what it is. And most of the time, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it is what it is, you know, like, <laughs> and I have plenty yeah. of people that tell me that. It's like, why can't you just accept what it is? Why push against it? Yeah. That requires for me to take a deep breath because I feel my body tense up when I when I'm like the why I want to know why. <laughs> yeah. But you brought up another part of radical acceptance that's the other side of the coin that's really important. It's You said, I feel tense. Mm-hmm. You, you have this natural response in your body when you experience this injustice, this pain, that your body tenses up. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm constantly tense. Because that's the snapping point. You're like, oh, I'm going to feel mad. And in this one moment, I have a decision whether to talk myself down or to be a jerk. But it sucks because you're like, but I'm a jerk because of the injustice. But then other people around you are like, no, fool. That doesn't mean you can be a jerk to other people. (laughs) And then my brain is like, I have to remember to not be a jerk to other people. It is not okay. But But your body feels so wound up that you just, it's hard. If I did not practice this all the time, the body tensity makes it so much easier to want to 
release physically and like and do it in unhealthy ways and that's the complication of like the mind body connection that people yeah, don't talk like about the yeah. the physical aspect to it but you said two things that i want to talk about one is the jerk because i think there are many many times when we can be jerks to other people it comes off for whatever reason you know a situation comes up but i think we're more jerks to ourselves like we are so mean to ourselves because we're our inabilities to like move past stuff or whatever. And we've talked about this, you and I, about like dwelling and stuff. And it ties to all of these different aspects, you know, like I, I'm so hard on myself that I can't even do this thing. And you're like, come on, be nicer, figure out what you need so you can move past it. And you're not going to sit in it and feel like crap all the time. So that at the end of the day, you're not only nice to yourself, but you're nice to other people. I, yes, it's true that I am worse to myself than I am to other people. But in those moments where I am extremely distressed and when I'm at my worst, like when I'm struggling with my mental illness, like my jerk level is so much worse than when I'm better. And my husband would say that now, seven years in, I've started to see the way his face looks at me that I can tell when I'm having a mental illness uprising because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing that thing where he's like, who have I married? You know, so and I've, I'm honest with myself, like in those moments, like I have been truly a jerk. And is that like something I control this is something we get all the time people are like oh can you control yourself when you're in your mental illness and you're like this is where for me personally I'm like oh this is where it gets complicated because I'm like in those moments I'm so overwhelmed and consumed by my mental illness that I I can see that I fell into this space where I was not as able to control the things I said or the way I treated people but I also am fully aware that I have control. So the only thing I could have done in that time was do what I needed to do to, to get help as fast as I could to get better. And then I have to go back and apologize a ton. Like, or I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like, that is not who I want to be. <laughs> and I'm working on being a better person. So I, I don't want to let off this idea that there is a sense of personal responsibility because Yes, I am hard on myself, but that doesn't mean that in those moments I wasn't also a total jerk. So I, I, I'm going to say this one last thing coming from the place where I started that even though this concept and this practice may sound a little woo woo, <laughs> it really is useful once you actually read about it and, and start to really understand how it could impact your daily kind of wellness. Mm -hmm. So try it, you know, check it out. Teresa did mention we do have a fact sheet and a worksheet for it um, for our Mental Health Month toolkit, which you can download at mhanational.org forward slash May. So check it out. And um, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things this month um, related to uh, Mental Health Month. So, yeah, that said, thank you all. Keep on fighting. Bye, guys. We'll talk to you next week.